Well, good morning. The first Apples meeting will be November 9th at 10 a.m. And if you want more information, you can email applesmin, that's apples, M-I-N, at cfcjacks.com. Or if you want information, there'll be representatives of the Apples ministry at our Connect gazebo in the courtyard, which Matthew relocated for us. So it is right out there next to the Impact gazebo. Well, it is great to be together as a family again, don't you think? We, I really missed last Wednesday, but I'm grateful for all the stories we've heard of people who are out serving their, their neighbors and making an impact in the community. And we're looking forward to getting some of those stories out there to you uh, to share with you in the weeks ahead. My name is Tony Anderson. I have the privilege of serving here as the pastor of uh, counseling, executive pastor. And at staff the last few weeks, we've been going over our calendar. And one of the things we've got to look forward, we have to look forward to is our neighborhood trunk or treat. Whereas an alternative to traditional Halloween, we're going to have uh, activities here with candy and hopefully face painting and food. And so we want to be uh, a blessing to the kids in the neighborhood here. But as we talked about this, it reminded me of some of my Halloween traditions when I was a young teenager. Now, when I was a young teenager, we used to like to go to haunted houses. Now, not some of the morbid things they have now, but, you know, things like the JCs or the Kiwanis would do fundraising. They'd have these haunted houses. And we were still young teenagers, so we usually had to get moms or dad to drive us. And so we'd get a group together. And for us guys, one of the things we do, we'd hope to have get some girls to go with us because if they got scared, hopefully they'd grab our arm and get real close to us and face it, that was the closest thing some of us were going to get to holding hands at that point. So, you know, that was part of our goal. But what we would do, if you remember this, is you would go, they'd basically have different rooms in different settings and you'd walk through and they'd, you know, it'd be something cheesy like a Frankenstein or someone wrapped in a mummy and they'd try to jump out and scare you. And so you would work from room to room. And if you were a veteran of this, you knew what to expect, so to speak. So if you went into a room and you saw a coffin, you knew someone's going to jump out of the coffin. So you would hug the wall opposite, you know, the coffin trying to get by when all of a ha! There'd be a hand from behind scaring you. And when that happened, you'd jump forward toward the coffin, and sure enough, the coffin would spring forward. Now, if you were in the front, which I typically was, I don't know if it was a height thing or whatever, I'm trying to get out of the room, but I knew the next room had something just as scary, so I would go into full cartoon character mode, digging in my heels... So not to go in the next room, but the people you brought with you, they're scared and they're trying to get away from the coffin. So they're pushing you forward. And usually right about this time, there seemed to always be the little volunteer sitting in a corner with a flashlight. Keep moving. Keep moving. You're backing things up. Well, my mission in that case was to get all the way through the haunted house without screaming like a girl. And for the most part, I did. And there's no cell phones or social media, so you don't know any different, okay? (laughs) But why was I fairly confident that I could go all the way through, even though I'm being pushed from behind, commanded to go forward? How was I fairly confident that I could complete the mission without really anything bad happening to me? Well, for the most part, I don't think the JCs were going to hire any real axe murderers because I think it would sort of hurt their business. I think it would defeat the purpose of fundraising. So in some sense, I I had assurance and conviction that I could complete the task. And that takes us back. If you've been with us, we're in Hebrews 11. And I had faith, but 
really, it was uh, in a very small secular sense, but we've been talking about faith in something bigger, faith in the character of God and the promises of God. And we've defined faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It is a conviction. And when we have a conviction, we act differently. And we've been seeing testimonies of people who had faith and acted on that conviction. We've discovered that really to grow in faith is to have faith more frequently. It is present more. I love the example, you know, with a mustard seed, there's so much we can do, but there's never a time where, well, I need a mustard seed for that, but I need a watermelon seed side faith for that. It's not that. It's our faith is present more. And as we know God and know his character and promises more, it is the hope that faith becomes present. It, the attendance is increased. Faith is never a blind step. It's never, I hope so. There is a conviction, and that conviction leads to obedience. We have another example in our text today in a Hebrews, I mean, yes, Hebrews 11.29. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. In Hebrews 11.29, the writer says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Notice the distinction between this passage and the passages we've had before on faith. This week, it's not an individual. It's a they. It's a they. It's the Israelites exercising their faith. And when a group exercises faith, obviously individuals have to exercise faith, and it impacts how the group acts by faith as well. So the, the historical narrative of this account is found in Exodus 14, if you want to mark your place and flip back there. But I want to, I want to tell a little backstory um, just so we know what's going on. The Israelites, also referred to as the Hebrews, had been in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. And God had seen their affliction and said, I will deliver you. I will take you up to a spacious land flowing with milk and honey. And he did this through a series of plagues that he brought on Pharaoh and Egypt, culminating in the Passover plague, which Doug taught two weeks ago. But before the 10th plague, he told the Israelites, Go to the Egyptians and ask them to basically give you a whole bunch of gold and silver. So the slaves went to the Egyptians. There had been nine plagues and said, can you give us gold and silver? And the Egyptians do that. So they are well funded for the exodus. At this point, the last plague comes, which Doug taught two weeks ago. And the firstborn in all of Egypt were killed, but for the firstborn of the Hebrews and the Israelites because they had put the blood over the doorpost. And as I was thinking about what that must have been like, last week's storm sort of gave me uh, an impression. We live in a cul-de-sac that lost power. How many of you lost power? Yeah, a lot of people. And so there wasn't much to do except stand and look out the window and try to see how the neighbors are faring or their trees coming down. I just imagine being in Egypt as you started hearing the cries of people discovering their firstborn were dead how the whole, how the, quote, neighborhood would have started just screaming. And Pharaoh, during the middle of the night, finally gets and says, up, go, leave my people, go worship the Lord as you say. 
And at this point, the Egyptians were fairly desperate to get the Israelites out of Egypt. And so the Bible says 600,000 men, so then men together with women and children and other nationalities who were with them, together with all their livestock, start leaving. And as they were doing this, God was leading the Israelites by a single pillar, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, directing them on their path. And it's here where chapter 14 begins. And interestingly, in the beginning of chapter 14, it says, God has Moses change direction to cause Pharaoh to think that the Israelites had lost their way and the wilderness had shut them in. It's very interesting after taking them out of Egypt that he, God would do this. But he tells us why in verse 11, 4, where he says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. As he is getting ready to establish Israel, the nation of Israel, Egypt, obviously a very powerful nation, he is going to continue to establish with them that Israel is a great nation because he is their Lord. And sure enough, it says Pharaoh changes his mind. It's like, what have I done? I've let our workforce go. Now who's going to make, who's going to make the bricks? It's going to be on us. So what he does is he sends a special unit of chariots, 600 it says, 600 special infantry unit of chariots and all the other chariots after the Egyptians. They're pursuing them. And it says, sure enough, they catch them at the Red Sea where they are encamped. Now, when the people see this thundering herd coming after them, they immediately cry out to God. Seems reasonable, right? But unfortunately, the Bible says almost immediately after that, they turn and complain to Moses. The Bible says they go, what? There wasn't enough graves in Egypt. You have to bring us here to die. And they said, what have you done? I just want to get this picture. Here's Here's a Hebrew with livestock loaded with gold and silver out of Egypt free going, what have you done? That, for one thing. And then it says, you know what? This is just like we said back in Egypt. It is better that if we serve the Egyptians there than die here. Better a slave there than to die a free man here. Aren't you glad we don't ever do anything like that? But then Moses tells the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, you will never see them forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Bible records what God, the words, attributes words to God. He says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. He's saying, move. Stop crying out to me and move. Then God tells Moses the, what he's going to do. He says, as for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. Keep going, two more. So that's the plan. And after he tells them that, it says that the pillar that God has been leading them with goes from the front to the back, and that night stands as a rear guard. So the Egyptians come no closer that night. 
The next morning, God uses a strong east wind. Psalm 74, 13 says that the Lord divided the sea by his strength. I think many of us have a better idea of the power of water than we did a week ago, right? And to think that God separated the sea by his strength. And so the Israelites were able to go through the Red Sea with a wall of water on the left and a wall of water on the right. Now, when I was growing up and I heard this story in, in Sunday school, there was always little flannel graphs, little pictures. And the way they depicted it is you would see Moses with a staff. They probably had enough room in the picture for about five or six of the Israelites. You saw some water in a little wave shape, but you were always able to see this side and the other side. So, you know, it, so it wasn't until I really studied this again that I was amazed But no one was really quite sure where the crossing was. But most historians believe that the distance was at least 10 miles. Now, it takes a man 2,000 steps to walk a mile. So not only did the Israelites walk by faith or steps of faith, they took 20,000 steps of faith. And I also want you to think of 2 million people. If you think about it, if you've ever been in a stadium, Everbank Field, if you think about that, if you were... If Everbank was ever full, sold out, and then everybody, that's not a joke, no, 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 sold out and everyone stayed till the end and left at the same time. Have you ever been on stadium concourses when you're trying to leave at the same time? Now imagine 30 of those. That's how many people were leaving along with their livestock going through the Red Sea at the time. And sure enough, God did harden the hearts of the Egyptians. Now, as I was studying this, it's like, why did God harden the hearts of the Egyptians to pursue them? Well, it sort of occurred to me, if I had been aware of 10 plagues and what God had done, and I saw the Red Sea parted and know those were God's people, I'm not going in there. But he hardened their hearts so that they would pursue And they did. They pursued the Israelites into uh, on dry land. And sure enough, as that happened, the Bible says God caused confusion and the chariots began to swerve. And at that point, the Egyptians became very aware of what was going on. And they cried out, let us flee for the Lord is fighting against us. At this point, God told Moses, stretch out your hand again and have the waters come back, which he did and the Egyptians were drowned. The Israelites saw the Egyptians on the shore dead. So again, if you're getting an idea of what this really event was, whatever they walked through, when Moses put it back, it was enough to drown them all. And it said at that point, the Israelites feared the Lord and believed God and Moses. I think that last statement is important. We'll talk about that in a minute. So as God commanded the Israelites, they went forward in faith. They walked. They took steps. And I think like the Israelites, we can walk if we take the same steps they did. So I think what we learned today is by faith, we step forward. By faith, we step forward. When you are in distress, should you pray? One more time. When you're in distress, should you pray? Yes, absolutely. It's a good thing. Even if God doesn't answer your prayer exactly like you ask, it does show your dependency on the Lord. During this storm, when you were praying, were you, were you praying, dear Mayor 
Mayor Curry, dear Governor Scott, no, they were men. You were praying to the Lord because you acknowledged his supremacy and his power. Prayer also helps us make, not make rash decisions. If we're truly in prayer and trying to align our hearts with God, it helps us from not making rash decisions. But there comes a time when, when we have to do more than pray. We must move and go forward. That's why in, in verse 15, God says, why are they crying out to me? Tell them to move forward. So here's a statement that you might not see in church that often. There comes a time when prayer alone is sinful. There comes a time when prayer alone is sinful. When you have received God's instruction and you've received his power, we have a duty to act if we're going to be obedient. We have a duty to act if we're going to be obedient. Now, let me illustrate this. Do y'all have circumstances? Yes, we all have circumstances. Right now, one of your circumstances, and you're meeting together with about two, 250 of your brothers and sisters in Christ listening to a fill-in, okay? That's one of your circumstances. But you also have circumstances with your children, with your spouse, with coworkers, with your neighbors. We all have circumstances. And in all those circumstances, the Bible makes clear that we have, there are certain circles of responsibility, Whatever your relationships, whatever, whatever situation you're in, there is an area where we are to trust God's word, pray that we understand it, pray for the strength, but then we are to obey. He has given us a responsibility to act. But there's also aspects of our circumstances where God does not hold us accountable. He hasn't given us power. There are things we can't control. And those areas is where we have to trust and pray. An example, parenting, okay? One we, many of us can relate to. As a parent, has God given us instructions on what we should do? Absolutely. Don't provoke them to anger. Raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is what we are to do. And if we do that, our children will turn out perfectly. <laughs> wow. I got the same response first hour. No. We are not responsible for how our children respond. That's where we have to trust God and pray. So what happens is usually one of these two things. Sometimes we're trying to do what God does not hold us responsible to do. You know, if I have one more lecture, if I lecture my child one more time, I can manipulate the outcome. Or how about when they're adult children? How does that work for you? If I, just, if I can just do something, I can control the outcome. So I start taking responsibility where God has not given me responsibility. However, many times what happens is we shrink back and we only pray. Let's say we've been given discipline to our, our, we have a teenager, and discipline's not working. They become more rebellious. They're not excelling at school. They're not doing their best. And we try, and every time we give a consequence, we get blowback. And maybe we don't think our spouse is supporting us the way we want, and we just say, I'm tired. If I just shrink back, I'm not going forward anymore. Faith is not present when we do that. And so we see from this story today that we are to step forward in faith. 
Spurgeon says when we look at difficult circumstances that with faith, it shuts its eyes to difficulties and trusting God's direction and strength cries out, it shall be done and boldly marches on. And so today, as we go back and we're going to look at this narrative, there are three steps forward that the Israelites took, three very real steps that I think if we apply to our own lives will greatly increase our faith. It'll be present more as we seek to become more fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ followers. The first step is, by faith, we step forward to salvation. We step forward to salvation. Now, in a very real sense, the Israelites were refugees. They had been prisoners. They'd been enslaved in Egypt, and they were out. But as we've talked about here before, they were out, but they were not yet in the promised land. So they were fleeing. Initially, they cry out to God, but then they start huddling together, and we see that they have second thoughts. They start blame shifting. They start thinking they were better off before. And this is when Moses, God's prophet, says, do not fear, stand by, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. All they had to do was to be silent and to go forward. So let me ask each of you here today, are you like the Israelites in that case? Maybe you're aware of your sin and you're trying to escape. Maybe you've tried to separate yourself from that, but all you see in front of you is the holiness and righteousness of God. And you know the scripture says he is a God of wrath toward, the, toward sin. He hates sin. And so moving toward God is fearful to you. And you start thinking, maybe I should go back. At least this is a group that knows me, knows the struggle. They, you know, at least I'm comfortable there. Better to be enslaved than to possibly die free. Or maybe, maybe you've been going to church for many years, you know, and you've cleaned yourself up from the outside. You've separated, but you've so, sort of gotten this huddle here. And it's like going forward, making Christ Lord of my life, that scares me too. So I'm just sort of here camped in the wilderness. So what I want us to recognize is when we move forward to the cross of Christ, we move forward to freedom. Christ, when he died for us, he, he took the penalty for the sin that you and I deserve. And when we move forward, he separates, he separates the barrier between us and the Father, and we can go into fellowship, and then our sin is covered the accuser is drowned, and we win. So today, if that is something that you want more information about or you want to discuss or you've been sitting on the fence, I ask that you would go to seek some of the men and women who are available to pray for you because this is one area where thinking about it and praying about it is not enough. It's not faith. So would you evaluate, have I stepped forward to salvation? Well, the next step is they step forward in obedience. They step forward in obedience. They were an army, and they were under the command of their leader, their master, their Lord, and he gave them a command to go forward. Well, at the time the command was communicated, it seemed pretty crazy. There is a huge body of water in front of us right now, maybe 10 miles, and we have no idea how deep it is. Can we all swim? Maybe I can swim, but what about my wife, my little ones? What about the livestock? Everything's going to sink. God says, go forward. See, he brought them out of Egypt. 
He brought them out of their, he rescued them from slavery, and he now expected them to continue to go forward. And for those of us who have gone forward in obedience, that's the same, I mean, to salvation, that's still the command for us. It's not complicated. It may not be easy, but it's not complicated to go forward in obedience. You know, for those, I know we have many who've served in the military, and so they can understand this, and I think even those of us who haven't can understand what type of soldier would you have if when given a command, they were allowed to say, that's too hard, I'm not going to do that. That's too risky. Nope, that's unknown. I am not going to do that. That would not be much of an army. Makes me grateful for the martyrs who, out of obedience to Christ and to the Father, have been willing to die or to rot in prison because they've walked forward in obedience. And then all we have to do is look at Christ, right? I mean, he walked forward in obedience when he went to the cross. If there was any other way, he asked the Father to take the cup for him. But in obedience, he sweated blood in his agony. And he went to the cross dying for us. So for some of us, we know what the Bible says. And it's not time to pray anymore. In the counseling room, uh, many times I'll open the scriptures with someone and I'm not talking about a gray area or how you might apply it. I'm talking about it's clear black and white what someone needs to do to repent. And they'll go, well, I need to pray about that more. I say, what answer are you expecting? Sure, pray for strength. But there are times when we know what the scripture says and we need to walk forward in obedience. I want us to look at three particular circumstances or situations that will help us do this. First of all, we need to walk forward toward Christ's likeness. If you're a Christ follower, we are commanded to become more like Jesus, right? And the good news is God is working with us for the same purpose. It says in Romans 8, 28 and 29 that he is working all things, there's all things, to conform us to the image of his son. That's his plan and his purpose. But let me ask you, CFC, and I include me in this as well, is becoming more like Jesus even on your radar? You know, we used to have the WWJD bracelets, but when's the last time you thought, you know what, how can I become more like Jesus? We're here on October 16th, 2016. If you ask someone close to you, a spouse, sibling, someone who cared for you, hey, Am I more like Jesus than I was on July 4th? Would they be able to identify? Oh, yeah, by, would they be able to tell you? Or how about October 16th, 2015? Could they say, oh, I have seen this much growth in you in the past year? You know, have you, it's challenging. I, I think how many times, you know, that, I ought to think about that every day. I don't, I should. Have you invited other people in your life to say, look, I want you to tell me, how can I become more like Jesus? Are you humble enough and gracious enough to do that so that someone would be willing to do it twice? They may do it once, but what reaction feedback do they get the first time they share something with you? I tell you, it's hard for me, you know, particularly if, you know, if Gil came up to me and he said, Tony, I think here's an area of growth, and he shares something I already know, that really is actually easier for me because I go, yeah, I know, I need to grow. But if my wife brings something up that I've been blind to, 
I can tell you my response frequently is, what are you talking about? Defensive, you know, but even if she may be mistaken around what led her to that, God brought it up for me to evaluate either what's in my heart or how I communicate to others. So I would encourage you, do you have people who will speak into your life? Another thing, and it's interesting, I was thinking about this, and this past week I heard a presentation that Michelle McKee did in our counseling ministry, and it talked about, she was talking about prayers of confession. How often do you actually have, do your prayers include your confession of your sins? Yesterday? Friday? Thursday? Wednesday? Now, would you agree you sinned on Saturday, Friday, Thursday, Wednesday? Right? Did you confess those sins? And if you did, was it, oh, Lord, please forgive me my sins. I'm humble enough to say, yeah, I got a bunch of them. Or was it, Lord, forgive me for those unkind words I spoke to my spouse. Forgive me for the laziness at work where I know I could have been more productive those two hours. If we're going to really become more like Christ, we need to increase and be daily confess our sins. Another area is, are we going to step forward in obedience when it may cost me financially? It is very real that identifying with Christ can hurt your income. If you at work or in the public area. You know, here, going forward in obedience could have cost them financially as far as they could tell. Now, I've been on staff here for about four years, but before that, I worked at one of the larger law firms in town, and I can think of three specific cases where there was opportunities for our firm to pursue some significant work where I and a few other Christians in the firm said, this work is not honoring to the Lord. And so we went to the powers that be and objected to us pursuing that line of work. And um, at least in two of those cases, the firm elected not to pursue it. That cost us financially as a firm, and it probably cost some of us personally because of how compensation is established. But we have to remember that we are faithful to work We're faithful to the work, not the salary. And so we have to be mindful of that as well. And I I don't say that to pat myself on the back because I did it the first time, and it was no easier the second time to make a stand. And it may have even been harder the third time because I knew what was coming. But we want to make sure that faith is present. And also when it may cost me relationally. Sharing the gospel can lead to us being rejected. Our students understand this, right? We can be outcast, not invited to join in any reindeer games, you know? (laughs) It can cost us. And we're also called, when we're called to be connected to one another, the scripture says we are to lovingly admonish one another. This is the flip side of what I said before. Are we courageous enough to, in love, go to a brother and sister and say, you know, from what I see, it seems like there may be a sin issue. Can we talk about that? And humbly say, maybe you struggle with the same thing. Or are we fearful of what response we might get? So we want to lovingly admonish others, even if it might cost us. I also know from experience that we have many here who are married to unbelievers or they're married to people who profess Christ, but as it says in 1 Peter, they are living in disobedience to the word. And so 
being obedient to God and loving such a spouse the way God, the Bible calls us to, can be costly. And this is when having faith present can really be a huge blessing. Look at this verse here. Paul says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. Now, I know living with an ungodly spouse does not seem momentary and it does not seem light. God doesn't promise a spouse will change. So if faith is present in this case, it means I am certain that it's momentary when compared to eternity and that it is light compared to the weight of glory we receive for walking in obedience. Faith is present. But you're thinking, okay, in circumstances like this, what about the children? Think about the Israelites. If we cross this Red Sea right now, our little ones could drown. So for the sake of the children, I really don't have to be obedient, right? We have to remember, did, it look, did Abraham's obedience look like it was going to be dangerous to Isaac? Yeah, very much so. And so sometimes when it's like, okay, continuing in obedience can be hard on our, our children. We've got to remember God is sovereign and nothing happens that he does not allow. And he works all things for good to those who love him. I was one of those children. I just want to give you a brief testimony. <clears throat> from time from I was aware, about 10 years old, my father suffered from what the world called depression. And so there he'd sleep for days and then he'd be gone out of the house for days. When he was at home, there would be fits of rage, and he'd throw things. He was not, he couldn't hold a job, so he created a lot of financial stress for the family, difficulties. He uh, abused prescription drugs and later non-prescription drugs. He was jailed for forging prescriptions, um, things of that nature. And in fact, it finally resulted in him committing suicide when I was 19 years old as a sophomore in college. Now, I can tell you my mother persevered in that marriage for at least seven or eight years until it was clear she had biblical grounds for divorce. And as her son, I never resented it, not then and not now, because I saw an example of perseverance, and it led to a conviction, I don't want to be a husband and father like that, and it gave me a heart to help other families as well. So God works all things, and he is watching over his loved ones. That was a lot easier to tell you than the first hour when my mom was sitting on the front row. So. so we need to step forward in obedience. Finally, we need to step forward on mission. We need to remember the Israelites were on a mission from God, right? Back in Exodus 3, at the burning bush, he had said, I'm going to take you to a land of milk and honey, and you are going to conquer conquer the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Hittites. Then a difficulty pops up, the Red Sea. I'm speaking with my sarcastic font now. That's a big impediment to the mission. But they walked forward as a group on mission. So individually they did, and as a group they did to go forward. At CFC, we are on a mission. Right? You all know what our mission statement is? We, you hear it every week. What's our mission statement? Okay, with me. To grow fully devoted, spirit-empowered Christ followers. Is that your mission? 
If we're going to go forward as a body, that has to be your mission as well. And it was for the Israelites also. Now, if you look at CFC history, we've probably had lots of Red Sea moments, but I want to share one with you right now. How many of you have started attending CFC after the summer of 2007? Raise your hand. Keep them up. Look around. Every, if you Look around. See how many hands are up. South Auditorium, raise your hand. Look around. Okay. Let me, in 2007, I want to show you. This is a picture of what our campus was. You'll have a bigger picture coming up on the side screens, I believe. Our campus was just this red area at the time. That's all we owned. Okay. And then so we had one auditorium. Junior high met in D8 right down the hall. Senior high met over there. We didn't have any of this surface parking at all. We were, when we averaged 750 people, we were basically at capacity. And so in the summer of 2007, the owner of this shopping center right here in the blue approached one of our members in our body and said, I'm ready to sell. Are you guys interested in buying it? $2.2 million, but you got to go in a hurry. So we thought about, we started making plans to purchase this property when a wise man in our body told the elders, if you're going to do this, you better buy this property too. Now, this owner had never expressed any interest in selling, but we sent one of our members, and sure enough, he said, sure, I'll sell for my price. And so between the purchase prices and the closing cost, we had a number. We didn't have it yet. When the elders called, I wasn't an elder yet, called the buyer together and said, we have this opportunity we're not going to tell you a number. Just go home and pray what God would put on your heart as an individual to give. In 40 days, we had cash and pledges of $3.8 million to buy that property. That was a Red Sea moment for us. Today, this is what our campus looks like. Just, I just want you to think of God's provision here. Obviously, now this is all cleared. You know, we have surface parking. But right here, this building right here at the end, when we bought this property, a cult was a tenant, and it was a training center for a cult. Today, we have over 180 to 200 distinct junior high kids who come through that building to be trained in God's Word and to serve others. Yeah. Right here was an adult sex shop. Today, today that area is being used to teach our community parenting, marriage, financing, and we have a, home, a Christian homeschool group that meets there on a regular basis. That was redeeming the land. Because our junior high and senior high can meet here, we now have places for two auditoriums so we can meet like this as well. Our average attendance now is about 1150. There was room for us to grow. That's about a 48% increase in our Sunday attendance in the last nine years. That was really a Red Sea moment. And we believe, based on God's word, that we also are on a mission. And so individually, if you're joining us on this mission, you should be connected. If you do not have close relationships with someone in this body, would you take a next step to get connected in a family group or a discipleship group? Then we believe you should be equipped to help others where when someone comes to you, you go, oh, that's over my head. Let me just point you to someone else. Our counseling discipleship training is available for registration now, but we have a lot of other adult equipping classes where you can be equipped for the purpose 
of making an impact. It's pretty impressive here, don't you think? God, this is God's work. The trees are gone. Did you know for the longest time, this was a shopping center, we had trees here. How many people knew we were a church, right? Or maybe they thought we were that little cult in the woods. Who? They didn't know. <laughs> we're trying to be visible because look at this. What do we see here? That's our community. Most of us, I guess, drive more than two miles to get here on Sunday. But we want to reach these people here. So what I'm asking as well is that elders make plans on what to do with our campuses. You give input, but like the Israelites, you trust your leaders, knowing that we will never compromise on the truth. We will be willing to move, make changes at times to reach a different demographic or people that maybe don't look like us, but we hope you'll join us on that mission as well. And if you're new or visiting, I hope you'll check us out and find out more about us and our mission. We'd love to share that with you as well. So in closing, where do you by faith need to step forward today? Where do you need to stop just praying and move? Let me close this in prayer. Father, you are a good, good father, and you have provided for us, Lord. You are trustworthy. And so we ask as a body that we would step forward by faith into salvation and obedience or on our mission, Lord. We trust you with the outcome, Lord, and we are just grateful for how you have loved this body, how you protected the body last week as well. And we just look forward to seeing what you will do when we walk by faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, if you need someone to pray with you, if you want to go to our conference room, if you're in the north, it's right out the back door or uh, to your right as you're leaving the south. And our Connect gazebo is in a new location, you'll notice, right next to the Impact gazebo. God bless. <laughs>